Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. When it comes to vaccines in the states of Wisconsin, why don't we just stop fooling around? Why don't we stop pretending? Why don't we stop requiring people to lie? Why don't we just open it up to everyone who wants a vaccine and then let people you know, get in line wherever there are? I, I think you know what, what we're doing now, to me, makes little or no sense. It also invites people to abuse the system. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, so here's the deal. We all know the state of Wisconsin, uh, in the first batch of people who could get vaccines, it was people in, in the healthcare industry, people who lived in nursing homes, people over 65. All right, so now they've said, all right, we're going to expand the criteria starting week after next. What we're going to do is we're going to allow people with high-risk conditions to, to come in. And those high-risk conditions include cancer, obesity, I'll get to that in a second. High blood pressure, diabetes, and many, many other different categories that essentially will open it up to millions of of people. On top, for example, to give you an idea, obesity. So if you are either overweight or obese, you qualify. So here's the deal. Um, And what they do is they look at the, the body mass index, that BMI thing, according to data from the state. 35% of Wisconsinites are overweight by that measure, and 32% are obese, meaning roughly 67% of Wisconsinites will be eligible, (laughs) will be eligible under this obesity criteria, 67%. And then, of course, you factor in all these other sorts of things that are there. On top of that, there is no checklist for this. By that, I mean you don't have to prove it. It is what they call the quote-unquote honor system. They say specifically, we're not going to ask people to verify. We're not going to ask people to bring their medical record and prove they have asthma or diabetes. You just you make your appointment and, and go ahead. So essentially, it means that anybody who wants a vaccine can now sign up to do it and can go in and say, well, I've got hypertension or I've got diabetes or I, I'm, I qualify as being overweight and and, and they're going to be allowed to get it. They're not going to have to prove they, they get it. So I guess my question is, what, why do we go through these hoops? Why don't we simply say, okay, at this point in time, anybody who wants a vaccination, sign up to get one, and, and you, you can get it. And we'll, we'll start creating our lists, and we'll start working our way through. Because the reality is, right now, Anybody who wants to sort of skip in line, all they have to say is, hey, I've got hypertension, and they don't have to prove it. Hey, I've got diabetes, and they don't have to prove it, and they're going to go, again, get into the line. Why do we even bother doing this? Why don't we just simply say, okay, we're going to open it up to people and get your vaccinations and get in line, and we'll encourage people to sign up as quickly as possible, so maybe we don't even have to wait until May. Our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I, I, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot because, I mean, maybe, maybe I'm a chump. When the vaccinations first started opening up, and I think I told the story, you know, our church found out about another church that was giving these vaccines in conjunction with a, um, with a pharmacy in the area. And, and we, we jumped all over that. And I, I, I'm very proud to say that I, I sort of worked and, and helped probably close to 8 to 10 to maybe 12 people hooked them up with the people that were doing this, and they were able to get their vaccinations. And 
somewhere along the line, I'm sure I would have been able to get into that. I'm sure I would have been able to get one, but I, there's no way in the world that I could pull a Lazary and, and jump line. I just didn't feel comfortable doing that. But I know that all sorts of other people did. So now we're in the situation where essentially the criteria is so broad. Why, why don't we just say, here, go in, sign up? Because if you're not going to make people prove that they have hypertension or that they're overweight by the BMI standards or whatever, you're, you're essentially opening this up to everybody anyways. Why do we just play this game? Why don't we just simply say, okay, here's the deal. You know, Sign up for vaccines. We're not going to have these criteria because if we're not going to enforce them or depend on the honor system, that essentially renders it meaningless. Isn't it time to just say, okay, start signing up for the vaccines, and as soon as you you can get a chance to get one, you get one. And wouldn't that encourage, make it easier for more people to get vaccinated? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And what percentage of people do you think are going to fib or stretch the truth about whether they qualify? I mean, look, with these criteria, pretty much anybody who wants one is going to sign up anyways. Why don't we just stop the pretense? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think at this point in time, when you've broadened the category this much and you're going to have no way of enforcing it, you're depending on the quote-unquote honor system, you've rendered this essentially meaningless, haven't you? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. A year ago, the pandemic was taking hold. Millions were laid off. The stock market plunged. Investor confidence was low. As we recover, what will you do differently with your plan and your investments? Join Dave Spano from Annex Wealth Management on Wednesday, March 31st at 6 p.m. for a special webinar, Investing in a Post-COVID World, with our very own Steve Scafidi. The free webinar is open to 90 fans who are interested in what's next in the markets and investing. To find out more, please visit the features page at WTMJ.com and sign up today. Let's start with Bill in Caledonia. Bill, good afternoon. Bill. Good afternoon, Jeff. What do you think? Hello? Yeah, go ahead. You're on the air. Going once. Okay, lost Bill. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I hate to say it, but I think that 50%, that better than 50% of people do not have honor and will try to get the vaccine as soon as possible. I'm a former cancer patient, and through diet, I am no longer a diabetic. I'll wait till my doctor calls me for the vaccine. Jeff, I agree. Let's start treating the COVID shots like we do the flu vaccination. I'm fortunate to receive my shots through the uh, VA. Um, let's say, uh, Jeff, I think if a person takes a prescription for their blood pressure resulting in keeping blood pressure under control, does that mean that you're not able to get the vaccine? No, I don't think so. I, I don't, it's not like, for example, if you have diabetes and you take metformin that controls your diabetes, you're still, you're still diabetic. I think you, you get to take that. Um, but the bottom line of this is that th- these, these things are so broad. Why, why are we playing games with this? Jeff, I heard of a pharmacy having a wait list for leftovers at the end of each day. I'm not in the eligible group and certainly don't want to skip in front of my 86 year old aunt, but I would take it instead of it being thrown away. Yeah, just 
this new category is so very, very broad. Jeff, I will be brief here. I went to my local pharmacist to fill a prescription. They offered me the vaccine. I told them I was not in a priority group. The pharmacist said, don't worry about it. If you're interested in the shot, we'll call you. Three days later, I received a phone call asking me if I can show up tomorrow for my shot. I said yes, went in yesterday, and I got my shot. Right, exactly. That's... and. and that, that, that's the situation. And I understand in the beginning where you wanted to prioritize it among the people who needed it the most. That, that, that made sense to me, even though I was the guy that was arguing that if we were going to do a rollout, we should do the rollout based on age. To me, and it just you heard during the newscast, I mean, we, they were talking about the single greatest indicator that you're going to have a bad result, with the ultimate bad result being death from COVID, is age. And so I'm the guy that's been arguing for the longest time that after you get past the first responders and the medical professionals and the people in the nursing homes, what we should have been doing is doing it by age instead of picking winners and losers. But now we're at this point where these categories are now so very, very broad and there's no checkup on it, why don't we just simply say, okay, call in, you know, anybody that wants to get it, sign up and, and end up getting it instead of, again, trying to play these games. And then, again, when you look at the numbers here, if they say, okay, well, you know, uh, we're, we're going to consider weight to be a factor and whether it's good or bad, what's the numbers in the Journal Sentinel? They say that probably 65% of Wisconsinites are either obese or overweight and would already qualify. So, you know, why, 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 why don't we just say, okay, let, let's go ahead and, you know, do this and just open it up to everybody who wants to get it. Jeff, how hard can this be? What you do is you start with people 80 and over, then 70 over and 60 and over, et cetera. Um, it's all done. You, you don't, uh, and then you do the essential workers first. Yeah, I think that that would have made the most sense. There, there's no question. I think that that would have made the most sense, but that's, that's not how we have done that. My whole point is, let's just open it up to everybody. Don't require people to lie. Just say, okay, look, this is the deal. We, we've now reached the point where the people who need it the most, they, they've had access to it and they've been vaccinated, or at least they've had a chance to get vaccinated. And so now what we're going to do is just going to open it up to everybody and we'll see where this goes. And we'll see, because the worst thing they want to have happen is that you've got 10 or 12 um, shots that are available or left open at the end of the day. Plus, you don't make people have to lie for this. If there was some way of enforcing this, if you really wanted to make the argument, gee, we've got you know people who have this particular condition or that condition need to go to the head of the line. All right, if there was some way of enforcing this, but the reality is there's not. It's when I hear them say like the honor system. Well, okay, we, we've already seen that there's all sorts of people who you know they just want to get their vaccination. So why don't we stop pretending to say anybody who wants one sign up to get the vaccination, get yourself on these lists now, and let's get as many people as we possibly can vaccinated as quickly as we possibly can. I mean, that's it, Jeff. Ace. The saddest part of this is a full year later, the state does not have any easy method to sign up. Up and doling out a vaccine they knew was coming, I do agree with you. I think we should open it up for the all. That That is still a very, very fair point. So now I, I'm eligible. I, I, I had an opportunity through a couple different sources to have gotten my shot earlier. Like I said, I just, I couldn't do it. I just, I, nobody would have known, but I, I just couldn't do it. I, I did not qualify. Now with these new criteria, I qualify. 
So I, I just I, I actually started the process today at the urging of my wife to to go ahead and, and try to like sign up. So I, I'm waitlisted on a whole bunch of places, but I'm relatively computer savvy. I, I mean, at least I know enough to be dangerous. And so you know, I, I reached out to this church that you know all these other people got um, vaccinated at, and then I, I signed up with my through my doctor. Then I signed up through this pharmacy. So I mean, I'm signed up on all I'm on all these different waiting lists. But it was it was about a 30 minute process. And that's somebody who is computer savvy. I still wonder how many people out there who aren't computer savvy or don't have great Internet skills or don't have the Internet or don't know how to use the Internet. I wonder how many of those people who have really been left behind by all this. And I think that's a fair comment from the texter that, you know, we had a year to figure this out. And we really, and if you want to blame the federal government, if you want to blame the state government, I, I don't, if you want to blame local health departments, I, I don't, I don't care. But the bottom line of this is, there should have been a better way of getting people who were, um, for going. Jeff, I got my first shot from a list when people cancel. I felt kind of guilty for jumping in line until Wednesday. I got my second and I'm sitting in a room full of teachers who were not even in school. Um, yeah. Yep. Well, there you go, Jeff. Um, every day. Let's see. Um, this the vaccine talk is killing me. We shouldn't be talking about vaccines. Well, <laughs> this is what I think everybody is talking about now, because the sooner we get the vaccines, the sooner we get back to some sense of normalcy. If if you don't qualify under these broad guidelines, you really are kind of like the unicorn, I think. Why don't we just say anybody who wants one, sign up, get it as soon as you can, and let's get on our way towards herd immunity. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This week's sponsor for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by Great Midwest Bank, is the Home Market. Located in Milwaukee's historic Third Ward, the Home Market specializes in custom furniture and unique home accents, bedding, and lighting with a casual but elegant style. Find them at shophomemarket.com. When you go over there, say hi to my friend Kate. All right. Well, so President Biden gives his his speech last night. It's the first time he's done an address to the country, at least a 30 minute speech. He still has not had a press conference, which makes him the the, the gap between um, him having a press conference. You, you have to go back. Uh, what over a hundred years to have it it's gone as long as this has without having a press conference so you you have that he still hasn't addressed the joint session of congress yet and that's the longest time for a new incoming president without doing that but i watched a good portion of the speech last night and i thought he did i, I thought he did fine um i think in some cases one of the things that the biden administration has successfully done is they they've lowered the bar because everybody's kind of watching this, wondering, gee, is he going to be able to read from the teleprompter? Is he going to be able to do this? And and when he does, it's kind of like, oh, okay, so he's he's fine. And I I thought the I thought the speech was fine. I'm going to talk in a little bit later about the whole notion of normalcy by the Fourth of July. If his idea of normalcy is we we want to be able to gather in small groups. Well, I, I don't I don't know that that's really normal. And I think that that, again, might be an overly defeatist approach to this. But I, I thought in general, I thought it was a good speech. 
I'm still waiting, though, for the press conference, and I'm waiting for some questions about some of the other issues, including this issue that gets very, very little attention. At least it's getting little attention in the mainstream media, and that is the crisis of what is going on in the border. Looking at another story in the Wall Street Journal, arrests of unaccompanied children at the border continue to climb. Um, Border agents made over 97,000 arrests in February. The number of migrants traveling as families more than doubled um, from the previous month to almost 19,000. The number of single adults grew by almost 10%. And what you're seeing is a huge number of children in, in just increasing waves that are pushing across the border. And, of course, when this happened during the Trump administration, you had all the stories about children in cages and things like that. This this crisis at the southern border is being largely ignored, or it's being, well, okay, what they're doing is we're trying to, trying to figure out how to house the kids, as opposed to the stories of children in cages and things like that. But what is going on with immigration is a huge issue right now. And I think one of the reasons why it is so important is that If we need to try to figure out, and we do in my mind, a way to create permanent residency, maybe not citizenship, but permanent residency for the millions of people who have been in this country for years who are contributing to society, and we need to figure out, okay, what exactly is that path? You cannot, at least in my opinion, have that conversation unless you have the border under control. Because it's one thing to say, okay, let's figure out how to deal with seven or eight or nine or ten million people who have been in this country illegally for years. It's another thing to say, all right, well, what do we do if we've got a million more that are coming in every year? And right now, maybe it's not a million, but you're looking at these huge numbers. You can't discuss what you do with the people that are here until you shut off the spigot of people that are coming in illegally, especially people who are coming in at least a percentage of whom have, for example, COVID, who come in and then are just dumped into some of the southwestern states. And that's one of the stories that's being focused on, and that's one of the things that you'd like to see the president pushed on, which is, you know, what what is going on and what do you intend to do? Okay, when we come back, let's talk about crime. Let's talk about it, what it's doing to urban areas, and let's talk about what it's doing to the city of Milwaukee. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Let's get right to it. Are you afraid to either live in or travel to the city of Milwaukee? Now, the other day, we were talking about the the out-of-control auto theft. Now, of course... But let's let's back into this. You had uh, that the homicide rate in the city of Milwaukee last year was absolutely through the roof. It, if it wasn't at an all time high, it was close to an all time high. The other day we talked about the, these numbers. The number of auto thefts year to year are up 138 percent. I think it's staggering. Over 22 cars a day are stolen in the city of Milwaukee. And these, by the way, it's not just situations where somebody leaves the car running and their keys in the car. No, these are these are like smash and grab things where you have people, juveniles or otherwise, that take a crowbar and kick in the rear window of a car and get in and then they steal it. So you've got the, you know, the car thefts, which are out of control. You've got the murders that are out of control. You've got the assaultive behavior that's out of control. And when we were talking about this, and of course my response to it is there needs to be consequences there needs to be accountability, but let's face it, that's not going to happen. That that's just that's just the reality. The there's going to be nothing but finger pointing, and it's. I suspect it's going.
going to get worse before it gets better. And you might say, Jeff, how could it get worse? Well, it's going to get worse because until you hold people accountable, all you're going to do is you're going to see more and more of it occurring. It was interesting because I got a number of texts during that conversation with people saying, this is this is why I, I won't go down to the city of Milwaukee, or this is why the threat of crime, it's why as soon as we had a chance to move, we, we moved. Now, I was thinking about this because there's a story in the um, Wall Street Journal today about Atlanta, and what they're finding is that the, the crime problem in Atlanta, which is out of control, just like the crime problem in Milwaukee is, and what they're finding is more and more people, because of crime, are simply making the decision to bail on on Atlanta to the point it's kind of interesting because one of the, the wealthier neighborhoods of the city of Atlanta is a place called Buckhead and um, it kind of like well it might be a bad analogy but Buckhead I mean if, if you want a, a parallel to the um, to the city of Milwaukee I mean think think the Lower East Side think some of those nice areas where you've got the mansions around Lake Park and stuff you know right off of, of Lake Drive Th- think of an area like that and because at Buckhead is part of the city, and so it's policed by the, the city of Atlanta. You, you have all this crime. You know, it gets lumped into the, the same sort of overwhelmed urban police force. And what you see happening is lots of people are now, they're even trying to push to get Buckhead to secede from the city because they want to have their own police force. They don't want to be part of this. But people, whether they're they're moving with, they're voting with their pocketbooks and they're deciding to move, or alternatively, they're, they're simply just not going to places. That is their reaction to crime. So our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I have said this before. There are routes that maybe, and this is from the perspective of somebody who grew up around here, there are routes. If I have to go from one side of the area to the other, there are routes that I might have driven Without thinking about it, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, no way I would do that now. And, I mean, a number of the texts I got the other day, again, when we were talking about car theft, people were saying that that's they just don't feel comfortable driving into the city, putting their car on the street, because they don't want to be one of those 22 cars that are stolen on a daily basis, because, you know, you're, you're never, if you get it back, it's probably going to be destroyed, or you're not going to get it back. And whenever, even if they catch the person that stole it, well, there's nothing going to happen to them because they probably stole seven or eight more. 855-616-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, to me, that this is the ultimate quality of life issue. And it's why the foot dragging by the mayor, the foot dragging by the common council, and the out-of-touch slap on the wrist, let's not deal with the problem reaction of the justice system has a real-world impact with people making the decisions to say, look, if we can get out, we're going to get out. Because in my opinion, there's a lot of factors that drive where you want to live and where you want to go and and socialize. And and yes, that, that includes affordability, and includes the quality of the school systems and things like that. But I continue to believe that crime, first and foremost, on that list, that you're not going to go to areas where you feel unsafe. You're not going to go to areas where, hey, I'm going to go into dinner, then I'm going to come out, my car is going to be gone, and I'm going to be one of those 22 cars stolen a day. Or I I don't want to live in a neighborhood where I'm afraid that if I pull into my driveway at night, there's going to be three guys with guns and masks waiting to carjack my car. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 
Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. Jeff, met a friend for dinner at County Clare on Astor Street two weeks ago. The whole time we were there, I was worried about going to my car in the dark, being carjacked at a red light, or shot at on I-43. It wasn't worth the stress, and candidly, I won't be doing it anymore. Jeff, I left Chicago 17 years ago for the same reason. Unfortunately, it's happening in Milwaukee now. I've seen the movie. I won't watch it again. Um, well, yeah, that's uh, this it. Jeff, the only time when crime activity is taken seriously is when law-abiding citizens, only when crime activity is taken seriously is when law-abiding citizens will feel safe in their neighborhoods. And no, that's not the uh, that's not the case right now. I don't think so. Jeff, I have a drive around the city and the state for a living. I also do my routes to avoid certain parts of the city. The reckless driving is the biggest reason. I've had a couple close calls with drivers with no regard for themselves and others yeah and that's i mean that's the other factor when you include crime i would also lump the, the reckless driving the hey you know that person just blew the red light probably in a stolen car probably they you know that they probably don't have a driver's license they just blew the red light at 90 miles an hour and damn near hit your car or the car in front of you or the person in the crosswalk 855-616-1620 jack in pewaukee jack you're on wtmj hey jeff thanks for having me on sure Hey, I just wanted to just reinforce, I think everything you're saying about what's going on in Milwaukee is, is 100% right. Uh, we actually uh, used to live in, in Shorewood, and we've lived there for many years. And uh, over the years, just like Milwaukee, it's been getting worse and worse, especially with the carjackings. And finally, the last straw for us is we got our car broken into um, in our driveway at our house in Shorewood. So we actually just moved to Lake Country area, and we were just finally tired of this, which is so difficult because Sherwood and, and Milwaukee have done such a great job in developing, you know, great bars and restaurants, entertainment, mm-hmm. all these different things. But like you said, at the end of the day, if none of that principally is safe, I kind of relate this to almost like Bayshore Mall, what you've been seeing there with some of the things going on that you've talked about in the mm-hmm. past. Because at the end of the day, if it's not safe, it can be great, but no one's going to come. So, Jack, what, what happened to your car? Just you, you, you had it parked in your driveway? I mean, what happened? Yeah, it was part of, you know, the last few years, uh, the North Shore of Shore was had the rash of break-ins here and there of people getting cars, and we were just one of them. So that was just kind of for us the last straw. Right, right. So, I mean, it wasn't like you left it run. Your, it wasn't like you left your car running with the keys in or anything like that. It's just it was parked in your driveway. Nope. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, thanks. Well, see, and, that, and that's, the, that's the thing, because it, I was talking about this the, the other day, and thanks for the call, Jack. It's one of these deals where it's it's not just the property damage, Although the, the property damage is significant. I do, one of the things that frustrates me, and I know I sound like a broken record on this, is you, you have so many people in the criminal justice system, the judges, the prosecutors, who, who view, for example, like car theft as, as a victimless crime. Oh, okay, it's and, and as opposed to like carjacking. But it's like, okay, so, so they stole your car. Well, maybe you've got insurance. You know, you'll get, you'll get reimbursed for that. But but even if that's the case, it doesn't take into account the the violation of of you know coming out and finding that your your car is gone. And for many people, it really is a big deal because maybe you've got two cars in your garage and it's just an inconvenience. And hey, my insurance will let me rent a car while it, it go I go through the process of getting another one or whatever. But for a lot of people, I mean, next to their home 
or maybe if they don't own a home, that the car is their biggest asset. You come out and it's gone. It is that sense of violation that's there. That's happening 22 times a day in the city of Milwaukee. It's, it's, it's unbelievable to me, but it's not just, it's not just that. It's the, the violent crime. It's the randomness of the crime. And again, I'm just thinking here because I, I hear from lots of people who are just making that decision. We're, we're not going to go places. Now, I think that there are, places in the city of Milwaukee that continue to be safe to go to. But at the same time, as I'm saying, all and this is from the perspective of somebody who's lived here most all my life, there, there are routes that, like I guess, say, 10 years ago, if I had to go from the North Shore to Wauwatosa, the North Shore to Brookfield, there, there are routes that I would have driven that there's no way I would do this nowadays. I, I just flat out wouldn't. And I do admit it's kind of in the back of my mind with some places, gee, if I want to go there, gee, I'd love to go or patronize this particular restaurant or go to this shop, but I, I don't know that I want to leave my car out on the street because I don't know that my car is going to be there when I come back. Robert in Milwaukee. Robert, you're on WTMJ. Hello, Jeff. Let me put, turn you down here real quick. Yes, the uh, been here for 37 years. Here are my comments on this thing. It's, one of them is called HD Mirror Cam. You can put that uh, cam in front and back of your car. It's very cheap, 50 bucks, and you can take actually video. Also, Cop Cam, you can put that on when you're walking around downtown so you can actually get the pictures. It would be great to have a thief on the street type thing you could broadcast over the Internet and actually broadcast these jackasses that are doing all this stuff, whether they're... Uh, underage or whatever. Now, the other thing to watch out for here is probably there's going to be people that are going to be protecting their property. And my guess is since I've been living in a neighborhood that's gray and, and Hispanic and Hmong and everything else that's going on out there, they have guns, okay? And I would consider those good guns versus the bad guys who have guns and, and that type of thing. Well, you um, always, Rob, let me just stop you there. Thanks. I mean, look, you, I, I, right, there are things you can do. I mean, but I, I guess, for example, I, I just don't think the, the, the livability of a city shouldn't, the first thing, hey, welcome to Milwaukee. Here's one of the things you should do. Go out and buy the club and put it on your car every time you park it because, you know, otherwise we, we can't guarantee that your car is going to be there. And, and then put a sticker on your car saying that you've got the club. So maybe that'll stop the person from caving in your rear view mirror, your, um, your rear view win your rear window you know so just and just causing that that destruction that's there and yeah i mean i understand that there's things you can do and i and i don't know about the question of more and more people deciding to arm themselves um it, it would seem to me that that's something inevitable. I'm not encouraging that to happen, but but it is one of the effects. I, I do think that's one of the reasons why you saw the huge spike in, in gun purchases earlier this year, especially when we saw all these protests and stuff, that people started to become afraid of, you know, can civilian authorities maintain control? And I think the ultimate answer is that they, they can. But at the same time, it, it, that's, that's not good. The overall perspective is, you know, you, you shouldn't have to say, gee, um, I, I, I really would like to live in this neighborhood as long as I have a gun and know how to use it for, you know, in case my home is burglarized. Shouldn't we be in a situation where, hey, th- we're, we're really cracking down on the people that are stealing cars or are burglarizing houses or attacking people? That, to me, is where you have a city that ends up being livable or an area that's livable. James in Milwaukee. James, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff, I was in uh City, uh, no, city of uh, Milwaukee there on the northwest side the other day and drove through there and the dog going in and out. These people are driving crazy. It's 30 miles an hour and they're going 30 and they're going 40 and 50 and, you know, come close to cr- crashing. I par- parked in a gated area there to, to do some business in that, but the thing is, uh, 
you got all these problems and stuff like that. Look, at they say people are moving downtown. Well, rat-infested buildings or stuff like that or crime and everything else. Well, Tom Barrett's put that Pfizer and everything else downtown to show, make it a show place. But he's been in office 17 years, and 17 years we've gone down, down, down instead of up, up, up for people to want to come here and everything else with the crime and everything else. Who wants to come here? Well, there, there's, I mean, the truth is, James, thanks to, I mean, there, there are haves and haves not. The, 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 the city of Milwaukee proper, the immediate downtown area, ha, has thrived. But at the same time, a good portion of the rest of the city of Milwaukee has become, well, just, just crime ridden. Like I say, there are, there are areas where you can go and where I think you can feel relatively safe. You come out from some of the restaurants on close to Wisconsin Avenue, east of the river. I don't think that there's too much fear that you're going to be mugged on the streets. But, you know, you, you can't say that about a lot of the other places that are there. But now you're starting to see this. And I think people are becoming more and more aware of the spiraling numbers of this. And I guess what really disturbs me the most about it, which is why I do topics like this, is I, I don't get the sense that anybody is serious about dealing with it. I, I just, I mean, I, I read these articles, oh, we had this forum, and you had the district attorney who says, well, the problem is the juvenile justice system. And then the courts say, well, you know, but it's expensive because if we send them off to Lincoln Hills, um, th- then the county has to pay for it. So that's not a good excuse. And then, well, don't you understand that we've got all these pressures because some people in the community think we're incarcerating too many of this type of person or that type of person. And, and my response is, okay, th- this is all well and good, and these excuses are there, but the average person who is living in a community who is just just trying to get by you know day to day you want to go to work you want to come home you want to maybe go out to dinner on a friday night and enjoy a fish fry more on that later you know you you want a decent school for your kid and the last thing you want to do is worry about gee if i leave my car on the street is the car going to be gone if i leave the car in my you know driveway is the car going to be gone and for people who live and the politicians who run these cities if you don't believe that issues like crime are right up there when it comes to people making decisions as to where they want to live. Well, you really need to wake up. And I think our first caller, you know, from from Shorewood, really kind of hit on that point. You know, where he's saying, "Hey, look, I, I loved Shorewood, lived in Shorewood, but Shorewood is having the problem because the crime that has been running rampant in Milwaukee is starting to spread." And you know, it's it, it's Shorewood is is an adjacent community, and I mean, we're still in a situation where I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but you had the attempt carjacking of the former county executive a couple months ago. I don't think they ever caught those guys. And my guess is if they haven't caught them by now, they're never going to catch them. But if it can happen at sun- on a Sunday evening on Capitol Drive to Chris Abley, it can happen to anybody. Let's talk to Vic in Fox Point. Vic, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Vic. This has been a topic that's bothered me for literally years, and I've been fussing about it ever since Charlie Sykes used to talk about it. Why in the world, don't, if they can identify these liberal judges, the DEA prosecutors, that they're actually aiding and abetting crime, why don't they identify them and have them uh, in a public appearance defending their actions? This, this it just irks me. No end. Well, because I mean, th- thanks for calling. I mean, I'll, I'll explain it simply, Vic, because th- th- this is the the overall system that's there, where there is this kind of lack of accountability. Nobody, very few people, run against 
uh, sitting judges. So if you have judges that come out with bad sentences, there there's very little likelihood that that judge is going to get challenged. Matter of fact, a judge is more likely to get challenged if they are perceived as being overly harsh, because then again, you, you have people in the community say, oh, this person is too harsh. They're, they're slamming too many people. They're doing this. Um, as far as just accountability, it's like a system that is completely and totally out of control. And don't even get me started on the quote unquote juvenile justice system where you have people who are stealing car after car after car after car who aren't waived into adult court who go into juvenile court and we actually had somebody who worked in the system call up the other day and he said here you, you catch this kid no matter how many times he's stolen a car chances are immediately after you catch him he's going to be released on bail he's going to be sent home that night we just don't want to incarcerate these kids and so the message we send to him is keep doing this keep doing it over and over again Tom in Watertown. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hiya, Jeff. Say, I'm from Watertown, and I, a couple of years ago I won some brewer tickets from WTMJ. On the drive down on Capitol Drive, everything was fine. My wife and I went down there. Everything was fine until we got going. I'm not sure exactly where it was, but all of a sudden there was a car up against the stop-and-go light. It was smashed against the stop-and-go light. There was a police there, and all of a sudden there were panhandlers in the middle of the road. When we got up to WTMJ, I mean, it was like a whole different section of huh? Capitol Drive. It was just unbelievable. And then uh, my wife, even when we got up to the WTMJ in front of the building there to get the tickets, my wife says, you know, Tom, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go in here and I'm, I'm locking the doors and uh, rolling up the windows. She says, there's cars over in that parking lot over there and I don't know what they're doing. Well, yeah, Tom. I, 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 yeah, Tom. I, I, I'm kind of up against the clock. But I, I, I will tell you, this is a standing thing. We're on our studios are on Capitol and Humboldt. The and you, you I, I will tell you, there's everybody that works here. If you decide that to you to get to the freeway, you've got to go what about two miles to the west. That two miles, I will tell you, if you drive it five times a week, you will have just even in that two miles, you will have at least at least three or four horror stories about, gee, this person blew through the red light or this person was driving 70 miles an hour in the, the bus lane or whatever and almost hit a pedestrian. And and that, that's just this little microcosm of, of the area. And it's just, again, it's one of these situations where we're, we're not serious. We're not serious about dealing with crime. And what got me started on this, again, is this piece in the Wall Street Journal, where in Atlanta, what they're finding is this is contributing to an exodus. People who can get out of urban areas are getting out of urban areas. And that's not good for the urban areas. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show, Melissa. You watch television from time to time, I right? I sure do, yeah. All right. Um, have you ever watched the first 48? Uh, you know, I have not. Is that on cable? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I don't have cable. I just have streaming services. So okay. All right. that Rude, would be a no. Do you watch the, you watch the first 48? It yeah, hasn't about like homicide cases, the first 48 hours right. after the crime takes place. Right. So that's, that's what it's about. Do you, have you watched it? <laughs> was yeah. The question. yeah, I'm familiar with it. Okay. Well, th- th- I mean, here's the deal. It is... Um, it's it's been it runs on A and E, and you're exactly right, Gru. You know, look at the big brain on Gru. It it, it featured the we, they call it the first forty eight because 
for homicides, what they say is that if a homicide case is going to be solved, the vast majority are solved in the first 48 hours. As time goes on, it, it gets more and more difficult to serve the homicide cases. This has been a show that's been air, that airs on A&E, and it's, it's a, a quote-unquote reality show. What, the, what they do is the producers, they sort of embed themselves with a local police department, and they work with homicide detectives. It's been on the air since 2004. There's been, I think, 20 seasons of, of this. And I, I don't know if it's as popular as it once was, but it, at one point in time, it was the highest rated uh, reality slash justice type of show that was on TV. Um, a lot of people love it. It's also been credited with um, helping solve cases, for example, because people will watch. The, and it may, let's say it's a case that's not solved within the first 48. Well, what, what happens is maybe somebody will, will watch it and they'll see it and they'll have information about this. So anyhow, it's been a very, very popular show that's out there. It It has generated a little bit of controversy because Obviously, when you're doing these when you're doing all these criminal justice things, from some there, there was one or two cases. There was a case out of Miami a couple of years ago that the defense said, "Oh, this was an unfair portrayal of the, the person who was the suspect," and things like that. So there's always a degree of controversy when you do some of these documentaries. But it is a very popular, very well watched um, show. They want to feature Milwaukee. They want the producers want to come and sign a contract with the Milwaukee Police Department to allow them to embed with some of the city of Milwaukee homicide detectives and, you know, watch them as they work cases because Lord knows there's enough homicide cases in the city of Milwaukee. And the city of Milwaukee Police Department wants to do it. They, they think it's actually a, a good public relations thing because there, there's a lot of I think some of the problems and some of the things that, that cause police community disharmony is the fact that I think that there's people, sometimes people just don't understand what the police force does and how they operate. And, and maybe maybe somebody has a bad uh, experience with a police officer, and then all of a sudden you, you you just say that okay, that means all police officers are bad. Well, I think one of the things that the city of Milwaukee Police Department feels is, hey, if we're on this, this gives us a chance to show how professional our homicide investigators are, um, how how good we are, the different procedures that we we have and can use. Now, one of the conditions is that um, before a case can be featured, the the victim's family has to agree to this. So it's not like a situation where you know, something happens to your spouse and all of a sudden, against your will, you find that story on television. That that's not it. You have to agree to you know allow the officers to be filmed while they're doing your investigation. So th- this isn't a perspective of, gee, the victims have no rights to this. So anyhow, the Milwaukee Police Department wants to be featured on, on the show because they think it's going to end, they think it's going to, I think, give them some good publicity. Secondly, they, they think it, it actually might help, you know, solve some cases. The Common Council doesn't want to allow them to do that. The Public Safety and Health Committee, in a vote earlier this week, is rejecting the request. Alderman Khalif Rainey, who is, I think, notorious for some other bad decisions, says, I used to watch the first 48 all the time, but it actually got to the point that it traumatized me. I just don't think that this is the face we want to project to the rest of the world. Rainey said being featured on the show would negatively impact the city's recruitment effort for the Century City Business Park. All right. uh, 
Let me stop there for a second. The I don't know how anything could negatively impact their recruitment for the Century City Business Park. The thing has been a ghost town for years and years. You want to talk about negatively impacting the Century City Business Park. Well, maybe it's when you had, for example, the, the Strauss Meatpacking Company that wanted to locate down there and people like Alderman Rainey who led the charge against it. That that <laughs> that, that is a job killer that negatively impacts on Century City, not being featured on a TV show. Um, also, he says he's afraid that by being featured on the show, it would uh, hurt efforts to address the perception that the city is the worst in the country for African Americans. Huh. Gee, let, let's let's show that our police department is aggressive and good in closing investigations and in catching people who are murder victims. You know, you would think that maybe the Common Council would be more concerned with the fact that you have out-of-control crime, like we were talking about, and you have a record number of murders, then, gee, we would have a TV show that was here embedded with the police officers showing how hard the police officers work to close the case. Rainey also described it as trauma porn. 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Give me a break. I mean, seriously, I, I think this is an opportunity to portray the police department as the professionals that they by and large are. And I'm not saying that you can't find a situation where there's a police officer who you know violated uh, some rule or something like that. But in general, particularly when you're looking at the homicide detectives, I, I think they are world-class investigators. And I think this would give an opportunity to demonstrate to the world you know, how good, how thorough these investigators are. And the idea that apparently the City of Milwaukee Common Council is afraid to allow their work to be shown because, gee, maybe this is going to negatively reflect on the city. Well, maybe they should be concerned about the number of homicides instead. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I don't watch that show that much. It's just, I, I don't watch these reality cop shows. I didn't watch cops because it just... It's, it's kind of too much like what I used to do for a living, you know, in another life. But I know that there's huge fans. So if you're, if you're a fan of, you know, the first 48, I mean, is there a reason why we shouldn't focus, we shouldn't allow Milwaukee to participate? The police department wants to, the homicide detectives want to, victims aren't on there, victims' families aren't on there unless they consent to do it. Is there any reason not to? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, and my answer would be no. We discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, the police chief of staff, um, he, he's quoted the story I'm looking at, is saying, "Look, there are a number of selling points for the program from the Milwaukee Police Department's perspective." He said the requirement that the victim's family must participate is key. He also says it would serve as an advertisement for unsolved crimes similar to the Crime Stoppers effort. And and here's one of the things that are the key. Police Department says he believes the department believes being featured would. Add Add legitimacy to its operation. We believe we have world-class detectives. It is important to see that our police department is dedicated to providing justice for the the witness. And then they go to the head of the MPD Homicide Bureau, who says, "Look, I've watched many of these episodes. I am a fan of of this." 
Um, I, and I guess I just sit there and say, you know, why not? Here's a text, Jeff. I've watched every episode of the first uh, 48. It make op- it makes officers look human and shows the complete waste of life that these shootings involve, both for the victims and for the perpetrators. Um, yeah. Jeff, you know, it's stuff like this, and the people who run Milwaukee and Milwaukee County, definitely reason why I will never move to Milwaukee or Milwaukee County. I'm sure that there's certain a lot of people who feel the same way because they don't know how to run the county. I mean, I guess, see, this. I look at this and I say this is an opportunity to present the police in a positive light. And if the police force believes it's a good thing, why not why not give it a try and some alderman saying well gee by by talking about by showing them investigating and presumably solving murders in the city of Milwaukee that's going to adversely affect us well maybe you should be more concerned about dealing with the murder rate in the first place let's talk to uh, Jordan in West Bend Jordan good afternoon hey how you doing what do you think um so just looking uh, so just looking at our neighbors out to the east in detroit they actually had an incident with first 48 where they won't allow them to shadow their officers anymore there were officers went to make an arrest and they used flashbang grenades and kind of did it at night and had this like nighttime raid on this house and in what ended up happening is a seven-year-old girl ended up getting shot in the head by one of the officers they did a review of it and said there was none of the needs for the nighttime raid or the flashbang grenades. They thought that the officers had kind of done this to put on a show for the TV show. Mm-hmm. One of the officers ended up getting confused by the flashbang grenades and ended up shooting the girl while the murder suspect was upstairs, like he was in the upstairs apartment. Mm-hmm. So in their review, they ended up not allowing this to happen because they thought the officers had kind of gone above and beyond what they needed to do to put on for the show. Yeah, and um, I, I agree with you. There's a lot of homicides, and we need to fix that. But um, just this uh, scenario where it ended up harming the community instead of her helping. Well, and that and that's you. Thanks for calling. Now, and you're talking about it was one incident that happened in in 2013, and of course the, the show's been on since 2004. And I, I think obviously I think you can make a, a fair case that if you have officers or an investigator that decides to what's the phrase I'm going to use go hollywood and decide okay we're we're going to we're going to stage things for the tv cameras and stuff like that well then 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 you have issues and maybe maybe it's good to see that because if that's what the cops are ending up doing that's i think a fair real question saying well why are you doing these kind of things but again th- that that is one incident and it's a fair incident it was in 2013 in detroit but you know th- this show's been on since 2004 i i think th- the idea See, to me, here's what's going on here. You have elected officials in the city of Milwaukee who are just, it's what I would call the ostrich defense. They're sticking their heads in the sand, and they're trying to pretend that we don't have problems. And the idea is, well, gosh, if if we're featured on a national TV show, and they're showing that, gee, it's going to be a surprise that there, there there are homicide victims in the city of Milwaukee. Well, we don't want the word to get out that there's homicide victims in the city of Milwaukee. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, but, you know, that, that, that barn door is open. The horse has left the barn with that regard. Wouldn't it be good to allow the police to show how professional they are? See, I think it's a great police community relation thing. And by the way, if it turns out that you start filming the show, and I don't believe this is going to be the case, but you find... 
all right, the, the producers document examples of police officers being incompetent or, you know, violating the rights of suspects or cutting corners or whatever. Isn't that a good thing to know as well? I guess I, I, I feel the same way about this as I feel about cameras in the courtrooms and things like that. It's good to show the public how people go about their jobs. And that this this is, I think, a great opportunity to do it. And the fact that the City of Milwaukee Common Council doesn't want to sign up tells me that they are simply afraid to show the reality of what goes on in the city. And this idea that it's going to hurt recruitment in central in the uh, Century City thing, uh, I mean, that, that's one that just makes your head explode. The Century City thing has been a ghost town. And, you know, every time that they've developed a, a good business opportunity there, you've had some of the aldermen who have killed it themselves it's not going to be because of the first 48 this is jeff wagner on wgmj so very glad to have you with us when is enough enough I I ask this question because I'm I'm looking at the latest things that happened in Portland. Portland is a city, wonderful city, by the way, that has been completely overrun by the anarchists. And, you know, it started with the sort of social justice protests. But while the social justice protests have, have pretty much ebbed and flowed, or, or ended completely across most of the country. Um, it, it's been an ongoing battle in Portland on an almost nightly basis where you have a rioters, anarchists that, that show up. And at first it was, okay, we, we don't want the presence of federal people here to help protect federal buildings. And then it was, you know, we hate Donald Trump. Well, well, well Donald Trump is gone. Joe Biden is the president, and that hasn't stopped the rioters from showing up. Uh, another story, I mean, uh, Thursday night, Another riot erupted in downtown Portland where you had rioters who showed up who set fire, smashed windows right in the area of the the federal courthouse, you know, downtown. And the, the question is... You know, what, what, what do these people want? I mean, don't, don't they know that, like, Trump is gone? Well, you know, it, it turns out that they, they don't even know what they want. Some of the people showed up and said that they were rioting because they wanted to protest a natural gas pipeline that was going to run from Wisconsin to Alberta, Canada. Okay, th- th- this is it. Others said that they showed up to, you know, protest because they had um, they, they wanted to protest the start of the uh, Derek Chauvin trial in, in Minnesota. So they're, they, they're in the middle of selecting a jury and, and they're, they're protesting that. You've got others that are protesting the pipeline and you've got other people who are just showing up and burning stuff and throwing bricks because, well, they like to show up and burn stuff and, and throw bricks. Um, <laughs> It's one of these deals where the Portland business owners, the people in downtown, are constantly boarding up their businesses and closing day after day after day. Oregon's largest city has seen almost daily and nightly protests for much of the past year. And again, there's no point to the protests other than you've got these anarchists that are being allowed to do it. At some point in time, don't you have to take control at some point in time, don't you have to say enough is enough? And I would argue that that point in time would be after two or three days, not after 10 or 11 or 12 months. And yet authorities in Portland continue to look the other way while the city is effectively turned into an armed camp night after night after night by rioters. Who wants to live in Portland? 
You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Take it off, take it off, take it all off. No, I'm not referring to that. I'm talking about masks. There is a big story in the Chicago Tribune today. Fully vaccinated but scared to remove your mask. Experts say getting back to a mask-free norm may take some time for some. All right, I, I did a topic a week or two ago. I am I am convinced that one of the long-term effects of the pandemic is going to be that there is a certain percentage of people, maybe it's 1 in 10, maybe it's 2 in 10, maybe it's 3 in 10, who are from this time forward, always going to wear their masks, that they're just not going to take the masks off, that that's going to be the case. And they'll say, well, you know, gee, look, people were wearing masks and nobody, almost nobody got the flu this year, so it's just good. And I think to the extent that there was ever a stigma or people would look, why is that person wearing a mask? I think that stigma is going to go away. But I do believe that that's still a, a small percentage, maybe, again, that, that one out of ten or two out of ten. I think for most people, as soon as we can get out of the let's wear a mask or we have to wear masks, I, I think that that's going to be the case for most people. And the story in the Chicago Tribune says that, well, look, this is where people, even if they're, they've received two vaccinations, even if they're, they've got their vaccinations, and even as the mask rules start to loosen, they may be hesitant to take their masks off. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, where are you on this? Because my answer is, look, not me. There, there is no hesitation at all. I, I once, once I get my vaccinations, and once the the mask rules get get lifted, now I understand you, you've got these different rules, and the businesses say you're supposed to wear the masks in there, and they have the different rules, and that's fine. I'm a I'm a play by the rules kind of guy. But once those rules start to disappear, once I've gotten my vaccination, I once they tell me I don't have to do it, once I am not mandated to do it, I'm not doing it. So my mask, I'm taking it off, I'm taking it off, I'm taking it all off just absolutely as soon as I possibly can. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, so how, how about you? How much longer do you anticipate wearing your, your mask? So if you get the vaccinations... And then we're in a position where the CDC, and the Lord knows what the CDC is going to say. It seems that changes like every day. But the CDC says, well, okay, it's it's all right for people who've been vaccinated to kind of socialize in outdoor settings and stuff. All right, are, are you going to stop wearing your masks? For me, like I say, as soon as as soon as the rules abate, as soon as the governor's mandatory mask rule disappears, whether it's thrown out in court or, or otherwise, as soon as the businesses stop saying, okay, you've got to have this, that, that that's when I stop wearing my mask. I'm ready to move on. Not going to do it until the rules change. But once they do, boy, mine's coming off. I'm taking it off ASAP. How about you? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Story in the Chicago Tribune says, experts say getting back to a mask-free norm may take time for some. Well, maybe it'll take time for some. It ain't going to take time for me. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let me be clear. This topic isn't, gee, you know, people shouldn't wear masks now. It's once you get vaccinated, 
once the mask, the mandatory mask rules start to disappear, whether the, the state relaxes it, whether the Supreme Court, for example, in Wisconsin, finally rules that the governor doesn't have the authority to issue this, you know, that, that, that decision's still been hanging fire forever. But regardless of that, at what point in time are you going to feel comfortable removing your mask? And the point in this Chicago Tribune story is that, well, there's all sorts of people out there that even when they can remove their masks, they're going to be hesitant to do that. Not me. 855-616-1620. Uh, Daryl in Shorewood, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yes, good, good afternoon. Hi, Daryl. Uh, like I was telling you, screener, I drive a medical van. Uh, you know, so I drive people, you know, uh, to the medical appointments, stuff like that. And I've actually been wearing a mask for five years. Uh-huh. And before I, used to, uh, before I started wearing a mask, I was constantly catching colds or flu, you know, because of the type of people I drove around. Once I started wearing, I haven't had a cold or flu, a sniffle in mm-hmm. five years. So you, for you, you think this is going to be a permanent thing. You're going to be one of those. And my estimate was there's going to be maybe 20% of the people that just never stop wearing a mask. And you, you might be one of those people, huh? But more likely, and, and about twenty percent sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. No, right. Yeah, exactly. No, thanks. Right, I get it. Thanks. No, and I mean, and that is that is one of the things that that's kind of my my sort of guess for exactly the reasons you're talking about. There's going to be about one in five, and you know, in, in parts of Asia. I mean, I, you go to Las Vegas back when you could go to Las Vegas, and it was still you know like lots of people there, and you know you would see all sorts of people from Asia who'd be walking around, they're all wearing masks, and that's just because that's a cultural norm over there. You, you don't see people from America wearing masks, or at least you didn't. I, I think moving forward, it, you're, you're going to. Um, one in five, you know, one in ten, I don't know exactly what the number is. 855-616-1620, and I appreciate the perspective there. I'm just saying, soon as, as from my perspective, you know, once we get, to, once I get vaccinated, once we get to a point that this isn't mandatory, um, I, I'm, I'm gone. Um, Jeff, I have one vaccine shot already. I'll wear my mask for the rest of this year. It simply isn't a bother. My granddaughter hasn't been sick this year. School was open the whole time. This tells me something, and she says it's not bad wearing the mask. Okay, Jeff, I'm an RN who works at a hospital in a cardiac unit. Myself and my coworkers have been talking about masks. The state may longer require a mask, which I'm excited for, but I feel like they may be a fairly permanent policy for hospitals. Jeff, I agree though, probably about 20% that will still wear them. I still see people every day in a vehicle by themselves wearing a mask, walking outside on the sidewalk, no one anywhere near them wearing masks outside. I think it's ridiculous. But yeah, I think it's a um, choice. Jeff, as soon as I can, you're darn tootin'. I'm going to stop wearing a mask. Jeff, I already have my first shot and beyond eager to lose the mask. I do not believe I will keep my reusable masks around and will, I, I do believe though I will keep my reusable masks around and will wear them to the store, the movies, etc. When it comes to outdoor gatherings, bars, restaurants, and other events of the like, you will see my smiling face without my mask. Um, let's see, Jeff, I've gotten so used to it, I barely notice I will take mine off when it is allowed by the CDC, that is the medical people. I'm not sure it's ever going to be allowed by the CDC, but, you know, who knows? Jeff, the mask will come off ASAP. I don't wear a mask now unless I'm at work or a place of business. I don't care what kind of glares I might get. Chris says, have a good weekend. You have a good weekend as well, Chris. Jeff, I went to a banquet last week, 40 miles north, 350 people, not one mask, no problem. It was a fundraiser. You know, I I do want to say this. That's 
I, I think that's always kind of a misnomer sometimes when, when especially people say, well, people aren't wearing masks. And they say, well, I was in a restaurant. And people didn't have masks on. Well, as a general rule, if you're sitting at a table, now the restaurant can require you to wear the mask and pull it up when you're um, when the server comes up, but that's not the general practice. I mean, I think it's kind of a bad indication to say, gee, I, I went to a restaurant and people were sitting at tables not wearing masks. I mean, I'm going out to dinner tonight. I, I wear a mask in the restaurant, get seated, and then I, I take the mask off. And then if I'm going to the bathroom, I, I put the mask back on and head over to the bathroom. Or when I'm leaving, I put it on. But you would come in, and if you come in and see where I'm having dinner tonight, and you see me at the table, I'm not going to be wearing a mask because I haven't figured out how to eat and drink yet while we're wearing the masks. Jeff, I'm ripping that bad boy off as soon as I can. Maybe we can have a celebrity, a celeb- celebratory mask burning situation. Jeff, one year from now, the mask burning will be all but, but completely, the mask wearing will all but completely fizzle out. 5% of the very, po- at the 5% of the population at the very most will continue to wear masks. I'm not sure that that's the case. I, I think it. I think it might be larger than that. Um, Jeff, easy answer. I was comfortable maskless 12 months ago. I am still comfortable now. As soon as it's allowed, it's gone. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know that everybody's going to feel that way, but I certainly do. Jeff, I'm 65. Got my second shot two weeks ago. Trying to book the Packer game in Arizona this fall and Florida next February. A lot of our local businesses loosened mask stuff. Um, that makes a difference. So I think I put him in the category of as soon as he can. Jeff, mandate or not, once you're vaccinated, I think it's foolish to wear a useless mask. Well, that is, it is one of the questions that I that I have, and it's one of the questions that. For example, that the medical experts have have had a difficulty explaining, and we talked about this what two days ago. Um, you know, Anthony Fauci goes on CNN, and they ask him, "Well, once somebody's been vaccinated, and you've waited the, the time for the vaccination to kick in, why shouldn't they be able to travel?" And he really hemmed and hawed, and and just he didn't have an answer, and, and there, there wasn't an, an answer to that. And I, I think you know. That's, I think, led to, I think, fairly some degree of criticism about the, these different rules. And are, are we just kind of making it up as we go along? So I, I do think one of the things that's going to happen is as more people get vaccinated, there's going to be, I, I think, more of a blowback to some of these restrictions, unless you can offer clear, concise reasons why after you've received the vaccinations, for example, and it's had time to kick in, you know, why why do you need to be concerned about catching this again? And is there really any evidence that suggests that if, if you can't catch it, that you might be able to pass it on? And, and so far, there's nothing that says that. So in any event, you're going to have to decide for yourself when um, when are you going to take the mask off. Jeff, I will take it off ASAP, but I got sick with something else and wore my mask in the house and distanced at home. No one else got sick. So I'll put it back on if I get sick. I do think you are going to see a percentage of people who end up doing that, particularly maybe during cold and flu season. Back with more in just a minute. Jeff, I don't know about you, but when I get out of a store and I get to remove my mask, I enjoy breathing normally with that fresh breath. Yeah, I I do. You know, where I really notice that is is airplanes. And I, 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 the rules are 
you know, nowadays in, in airports, got to wear your masks in airports. Okay, fine. And when you're on the plane, you got to wear the mask. And that's what the rules are. But I do know exactly what they're talking about, <laughs> what the uh, texter is talking about, that, you know, especially for me, it's like, okay, you've had the mask on. You've been on a two and a half hour flight. You get off. You walk down, you get your luggage, or you get into that parking garage, and you know being able to take your mask off—that—that's. It's like wow, <laughs> I, I I love that, and so I understand you can get used to it, and I'm not encouraging people not to wear masks and not to comply with the rules. But again, I go into this category. I know me, and as soon as this requirement to wear masks disappears, um, I, I'm it's done. It's done with me, and I, I get it. Other people maybe don't feel that way, but that's it. All right, Gru, producing the show today and always. VHS tapes. This may be a sign of this may be a sign of of age, but I can remember. Now, if you you might not even know what a VHS tape is if you are of a certain age. I I can remember. Gosh, this was it would have been in the eighties. I'm in law school, and I remember. My my roommate who worked at a, a stereo store, an electronic store, he he came home with this this VHS tape recorder, and it was like a first generation thing. And I have no idea how much the thing cost, but it was I, I can remember we we set it up to the TV set in the living room of the house that we shared, and it was just the coolest thing that you could go and you could actually you could tape things. That, that played over the air. And if you didn't want to stay up till 2 o'clock in the morning and watch a TV show on HBO, well, you, you could tape it. And then you could get up the next day and you could watch it at your convenience. And so this the, the first wave of, of VHS tapes was just so I- incredible. And then, then, of course, you had all the movies that came out on VHS tapes. And that was what really sparked the, the explosion of blockbuster video, where you... Um, you had, you know, the, the thing that Blockbuster used to say, which was like, be, be kind, rewind. And for people who might not be familiar with Blockbuster video, this used to be a license to print money. You, you would show up, you try to show up on a Friday or a Thursday night at Blockbuster video when the new movies come out and came out. And it, I'm telling you, it was like Times Square on, on New Year's Eve. You had all these people that were there and they were renting the tapes and you got the weekend to watch them. And then you had to drop off the movies by midnight on Sunday or else you got charged an extra day things like that so this i remember the explosion of vhs tapes and of course um that also would lead to people who would like for example take home movies and you could put the movies on the vhs tapes and pop this thing in well vhs tapes went the way of the dinosaur and they got replaced by the the dvds that um were were easier to deal with and you didn't have to worry about them breaking or things like that And, and now just kind of like eight track tapes VHS tapes have pretty much sort of disappeared. I bring this up because there's a big story in the New York Times the other day that asks who is still buying VHS tapes. And apparently, little would you believe this, but there's there's a huge market for still out there. There's a lot of people who haven't made the switch from VHS tapes that still have VHS tapes. And apparently, the other thing is that there are some movies, for example, that came out on VHS tapes that never were transferred, maybe because they were kind of obscure movies, they were never transferred from VHS to the the DVDs, and and certainly not streaming. They're just, they, they just didn't make the cut. And so there's some of these like obscure movies that are out there that are only available in VHS, and only available if you have access to a VHS player. For example, there's a movie 
called um, Kangaroo Jack, involving a beauty salon owner and a kangaroo. The asking, I, I, I don't ask me why. I've never heard of Kangaroo Jack. But if you want to watch it, you can only watch it on VHS tape, and you can only watch it if you pay $190 um, for this. $190 and only available on VHS tape. Now, Gru, producing the show today, and always do. Are you old enough? Do you even remember VHS tapes? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm th- over, I'm 31 years old. <laughs> well, okay, but they've been but VHS tapes have been gone for a long time. I mean, so. Right, but you remember going to Blockbuster Video and renting them there and stuff like that? Yes, I was at my peak in the 90s. Okay, well, <laughs> there you go. Well, it's it's probably not long after that that, they, that everybody switched over to the DVDs, and now you've got the Blu-ray discs and all that type of stuff. But apparently, again, there is still a market out there for VHS tapes. Now, whether you can find VHS tape players is, of course, uh, another scenario. We had a couple because my, my late wife used to, she used to love to watch gymnastics and figure skating. And so she taped all these different things, and she had this huge stack of, of VHS tapes. And then what she ended up doing is she converted all these VHS tapes over to um, DVDs. And so what you had to do is you had to find one of these players that would do that. It would play the VHS thing and then would tape it. And I know her fear was always that you're not going to be able to find these things. So at one point in time, we had like two or three of these things in case one of the things broke. I don't know where those are. I don't think they made the move to the new house. And the VHS tapes didn't make the move as well. But if you're sitting on a treasure trove of old VHS VHS tapes, you might want to keep them because just like the old vinyl records, they may make a comeback. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Melissa, you said earlier that you, you don't have cable, but you, you have streaming services? I do, yeah. You have Netflix? I have Netflix, and I have Amazon. Okay, have you have you heard what Netflix is doing about the, the passwords? Yeah, I did. Okay, well, see, all right, now this, this is going to be an honesty test here. See, Netflix... For people who do not have it, of course, it's a streaming service, and what you do is you you sign up. You you go and you kind of like download the Netflix thing, and then you sign up, and what happens is, I think you have to give them a credit card, as I recall, and there, there's different things that you can do, and then, then you get your you get your own code. You know, you, you log in, you get your user's name, and then you've got a password, um, and then you, your credit card gets charged every month for this. But the, the way it works is, you can put Netflix on, on multiple TVs. For example, at our house, we've got a Netflix thing, and I've got, we've got Netflix. No, don't go anywhere, Melissa, here. No, uh-uh. you, you, well, I've got Netflix on the TV in the living room and the TV in the bedroom and the TV in the den. So we have Netflix, and it's the same account. It's my account. And if I were to have a second house, for example, I, I could put that use that same Netflix account, and you could put it on there. The problem, of course, that happens from a Netflix perspective is there, there's nothing to stop me from saying, okay, you know, I'm paying for, for Netflix, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give my friend Melissa my Netflix information. And so she can just download it and then she can put it on her TV and then log in pretending that that she's me and she won't have to pay for it. Now, you would never do something like that, would you? I wouldn't. But a lot of people do. (laughs) A lot of people do, yeah. I've known that. So they estimate, this is, is, um, they estimate that about 42%, four out of 10 
consumers. And of course, what what happens is when when you when you first sign up for Netflix, there's one of those like agreements that they put up there that you're supposed to read, which essentially says this this is for you. You are the user of that. And but they're, they haven't been vigorously enforcing it. The estimates are that about 42 percent of customers in the spring shared or received passwords since the start of COVID-19, which means there's 40% more people who should be paying that aren't because they're logged in under your account or well, my account. Well, you think about how much money they potentially, I mean, they're losing by people sharing passwords. I'm interested in how will they be able to know if you give your password to a friend? Okay. Well, here's what they've announced that they are going to start doing. So when you log in, you know, you 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 go to the Netflix thing, you log in, you know, like mine says, is it Jeff or is it somebody else watching? So you click on, yeah, this is Jeff, and they say, welcome back, Jeff. What they're going to start doing is they're going to start, they have your contact information, and they're going to start texting you or emailing you a number. Like, so, you know, kind of like, kind of like you do when you're going to, I don't know, some different websites, the security thing, you know, where they say, we want to verify this is you. So they send your email or they send your phone a, a number. And before you can watch it, you have to then Ooh. enter the number, like one, two, that three, four. Could get a little annoying. It could get if annoying. You, well, it's interesting because that happened to me with my Apple account. Uh, someone, I don't know if this happens to anyone else, but someone was trying to get into my Apple account and something popped up on my phone and said, is this you, Melissa? Is this?" And, and I said, no. And I changed my password, all this kind of stuff. But that would be something similar where you'd get a, right. a, a thing that pops up on your phone. Or if you're trying to log into your account, sometimes at work here, your all email account, yeah, all, text all, in the, pa- the password, uh, make sure this is you. Right, or, yeah, or, 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 what the, or what they do is they'll say, okay, we're texting your phone, yes. this entry, this thing that you have to verify and you have to type it in to go. No, they're going to start, effectively, they're going to start doing that. I might have oversimplified it, but that's essentially what they're going to start doing. And then if so... The idea would be you would have to have, in in my example, if 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 you're using my account, mm-hmm. you and they send that thing to my phone, you would you're not going to be able to do it unless you've got access to my phone. You call me up and say, Jeff, and, but you What's know, what's the password? Quick, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. So they're they're apparently going to be doing this, and then um, if you don't live with the owner of the, they, apparently they're going to put out a thing saying if you don't live with the owner of the account, you need your own account to keep watching. So they're going to start being aggressive about this. Cracking down. Well, the interesting thing to me is it, it, it's probably it, it's not just going to be Netflix. It's going to be you know the Hulu and the you know all, all the, the YouTube TV services, and all that yeah. stuff that are going to start cracking down on this. Because I guess what I found interesting was the um, the forty two percent, but. You know, my guess is that that's probably true. I mean, I know, I know a lot of people, and I haven't shared mine, but I do know a lot of people who, I do too. especially yeah. in the, like the families and stuff, like mm-hmm. mom and dad have it, so all the kids have it and things like that. And I could believe that forty-two percent number. Yeah, I mean, it could be potentially higher than that. I would think. I think a, a lot of people do share it for one or two people. Could right. be a friend, could be a family, but uh, right. that's well, very common. The, the days of that, just just a little bit of advance warning. If you're one of these people <laughs> who's like sharing the days, sharing Netflix, well, that's ending. And the interesting part is Netflix is, what, 8 $9 a month. It's it's not that expensive. I, I'm embarrassed to say this because mm. and, and I, I'm, I'm the guy that rails about this all the time. But I don't even know. I mean, I, I just, it, it is one of the scary things. At some point in time, my wife isn't listening right now. <laughs> I, I mean, I have to, because there, there is small charges. So we have Netflix, we have Hulu, 
We have Peacock, which is the NBC thing, because I like to watch the soccer games on that. And we have Amazon Prime. And I have Google TV. Do you have <laughs> cable as well? Yeah. And you have cable as well. So. I, yeah, I have cable. <laughs> I, I have cable as well. And I have Google TV for kind of a, a different reason, not not for around here. But yeah, but I mean, so there's, it's no, there, none of them are big charges, but I'm just, I'm going through this list and thinking you add these things up and they're, they probably do add up to, you know, 30 or 40 bucks a month and, or maybe more. And then you add that over the course of a year and you're pretty soon you're talking real money. And that's why people share. That, <laughs> that's why people share. Okay, when we come back, speaking of sharing, we have been optimistic, I think many of us, that this summer will be a summer of normalcy, that we'll be able to share experiences. I want to talk about something that President Biden said yesterday. And I guess my question is going to be, it's, is there any realistic chance, if Biden is correct, is there any realistic chance that we're going to be able to have any summer festivals? We'll discuss. I'll explain. Stick around. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Here's the breaking news. The um, city of Minneapolis has just settled a lawsuit with the family of George Floyd. Now, of course, the the police officer who's accused of criminal behavior in connection with the death of George Floyd, his trial is underway. They're still in the process of of selecting a a jury. But uh, they have just settled. Minneapolis has settled uh, $27 million, which is a a record amount. It's the largest pre-trial settlement in a civil rights wrongful death case in U.S. history, $27 million. I don't have the down as to who is going to get exactly how much and how much the lawyers get out of it, but uh, $27 million to settle that case. Uh, it's Like I say, the, the jury, the, the criminal case proceeds regardless, but uh, the civil case goes away, $27 million that the city of Minneapolis will be paying out. All right, so yesterday in his speech, President Biden said, look, here, here's the deal. I, I'm, I'm ordering the states to make vaccines available to anybody who wants one by, by May 1st. And he said, look, here, here, here is the goal. If we, if we all keep our masks on and we all do what we're supposed to do and we maintain social distancing and we all get vaccinated, I, I think he says, if we do this together by the 4th of July, which would be, okay, here we're talking about March, so April, May, June, three and a half, four months from now. By the 4th of July, there's a good chance that you and your families will be able to have a small get-together in your backyard or neighborhood and have a cookout or a barbecue and celebrate Independence Day. All right, that's it. If we do all this stuff by the 4th of July. Now, notice what he's not saying. He's not saying that we can have 4th of July parades. He's not saying that we can have, like, lakefront firework shows. He's saying, all right, if we all do this stuff, our goal is that maybe you and your neighbors can get together in your backyard for the 4th of July for a limited cookout, a a small-scale sort of thing. Now, and everybody's going, oh, that's great. I hear that. And I guess the other thing that comes to mind is, sounds to me like the president is pretty much canceling the rest of the summer. 
I mean, I, I don't hear him saying, hey, we're, we're, we're able to have like the larger fireworks shows by the 4th of July. You know, we're able to have the, the gatherings that we have in parks. He's saying, hey, you can get a couple people together, a small gathering, maybe in your backyard. So if that is the case, and I ask this, I, 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 I'm curious as to what your input is. All right, if that is the case, realistically, is, is the summer canceled again? I mean, are we going to be able to have larger church festivals? Are we going to have state fair um, in, in August? I mean, state fair is supposed to be early August. If the aspirational goal is by the 4th of July, maybe we can have maybe we can have a small barbecue and get together in your backyard. Can we possibly get from July 4th to a month later where we have a couple hundred thousand people going to the grounds of, of the state fair. And what does it mean for things like Summerfest in, in September, where in order to have these happen, you have to have a, a critical mass? All right, is, is Biden being too negative? Is he too downbeat? Or is this just a reality that this, this summer is largely, when it comes to large events, is this summer going to be canceled like last summer was? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I have been optimistic the whole time that by the time August rolls around, we'll, we'll be able to return to that degree of normalcy. And certainly by the time September rolls around and the people will be able to make their own decisions as to whether, you know, they want to go out and, and be in these crowds. But if you listen to what the president was saying yesterday, it's a long way from a small barbecue in July, July 4th. Maybe, maybe it's a long way to state fair or Summerfest. Realistically, are they going to be able to happen? 855-616-1620. And if, if the Biden goal, and I'm not being critical, I'm just pointing this out if the biden aspirational goal is a limited party in your backyard by the fourth of july i don't see any way that you're going to have approval for things like state fair or summer fest or or anything at least this summer what do you think welcome back to jeff wagner on wtmj we're back dan in plymouth dan good afternoon what do you think well i think that he's not trying to promise a big picture i think he's I think his goal is that it'll open up big and wide and summer will continue. But instead of saying that, he's just saying a small gathering so, at first. So what do you Not, think uh, what do you think is going to okay, by the fourth of July, do you think it will be broader than just like a limited back do you, you think we're gonna have fireworks? Do you think that there's gonna be fourth of July parades and stuff or or no? Yes, I I believe like he said in his speech, if everybody, you know, participates and does the most that they can, that it'll, we will have the fireworks and stuff. What about State Fair? you think State Fair is going to happen? That's August. Um, yeah, I think so. I really do, especially if if everybody can get vaccinated and, you know, does the precautionary things, I think it's going to go forward. Okay, really thank, do. thanks for call. Well, I, and again, I, I look, I, I do too. Um, and, and maybe the strategy is 
let's let's under promise and let's over deliver and and so that it can be encourage everybody hey go out and get vaccinated stuff and now we're we're ahead of schedule and so yeah we we can have we can have fireworks at the lakefront and we can have stuff on the on on uh, over we have labor day picnics and we can have we can have state fair i i will say just you know listening to this last night that was the first thing that jumped in my mind i'm like my god if if this is serious and and that's really the the goal. And I kept hearing that all the commentators describing this as an aspirational goal. And I'm thinking, well, that that's not much aspiration because I think, candidly, the reality is once once people get vaccinated and once the weather breaks and people are outside, I think it's pretty much a given that folks are going to get together for backyard barbecues and small sort of gatherings, regardless of what the government says one way or the other. The bigger question I have is what about the larger community events? And it seems to me if the president was serious about, you know, this is this is where we hope to be by July 4th, there, there's no way by the end of July you have events. There, there's no way you have concerts going on. There's no way you have events like State Fair. Now, I hope I'm wrong, and I hope that the president, again, is trying to tamp down aspirations um, about this. Jeff, I think it depends on um, how stupidly people act for the next two months. Well, I don't know, it's stupid. Jeff, I think there's no State Fair. All the festivals have already canceled this summer, except Summerfest in September. I'm sure they are not going to okay and. Anything until they make sure everything is good on the vaccine side. The president is cautious in what he says. And, of course, part of it, I think, also depends on on, on what the community is. I have a text here from somebody saying, well, you know, our, we had a Fourth of July party celebration last year, and our town of 10,000 is going to have it again. I think part of it probably also depends on, uh, again, the, the, the politics and what's going on in the state. I mean, Texas... Texas is wide open right now, so my guess is that the Texas State Fair is going to go on this summer. Many states are already opening up. Other states that are more controlled, Wisconsin being one of them, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Who knows what the governor is going to allow hap to happen by August? I was just kind of struck by the remarks and, again, struck by the commentators saying, well, this is aspirational. And, you know, again, maybe it's underplaying expectations. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But I'm thinking, gosh, if this is really serious and the president's serious that the, the best he's for by July 4th is maybe we can get together with a handful of people for, you know, a barbecue in the backyard. Well, he's essentially saying without saying we're canceling summer yet again. I'm not sure whether that's where the American people are, but it might be where the president is. And hopefully, hopefully he's wrong. Hopefully he's wrong about this, and hopefully we're ahead of schedule, and hopefully we can return to more of a real sense of normalcy by July 4th and have the parades and have the fireworks and have State Fair and have Summerfest and start to travel again. That's my wish. Okay, when we come back, we're going to find out what Eric Bilstad and Melissa have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around.